Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive and gather together as your family, united here to learn your word and listen to your spirit. We thank you for your grace and mercy every day. Every day we wake up is a sign of your grace and mercy towards us. Help us to relish that each and every day. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we also ask for special prayers for the Fredericks family right now and their loss. We ask that you comfort them in a unique way as only you can and let their light shine so others can see the peace and truth that is evident from your son living inside of them. We thank you, Father, most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, and his unselfish sacrifice once for all on the cross to redeem us sinners from sin and death. Father, please bless this message. Have your spirit guide us and teach us. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen. American Dating is a Counterfeit, Part 6. I want to encourage you all this evening to sit back and listen. Uh, we will have some scriptures we turn to, but uh, a lot of scriptures will be on the board this evening. As we're going to get through a fair amount of material, uh, some of it review and some of it new. So, The Spirit wants me to begin with a couple things that we need to remember. First of all, adopt the perspective that waiting is a blessing regarding anything in life. Just a general perspective. Change your perspective on waiting because we see waiting as a curse and a burden, right? But God's ways are not our ways. So adopt the perspective that waiting is a blessing regarding anything in your life, whether you're waiting in line or at a red light or you're waiting for a job or you're waiting for a spouse. Change your view on waiting. Look at that as sanctified time, a time of rest even, to converse with the Lord and ask his opinion about things, even if for 10 seconds at a red light. So we're going to start this way with the wisdom of waiting. Waiting is a blessing. Obviously, this is contrary to our flesh, right? It doesn't make sense to our flesh. But think from the Spirit's point of view. Waiting is a blessing. Learn to enjoy waiting. It's God giving you a chance to rest and grow. And it's one of the ways to his blessings. And that's all throughout scripture. In fact, turn to Isaiah 40, verse 31. All throughout scripture. There's so much scripture on waiting for God's timing, for God's blessings, and the importance of that. And how that's actually a type of faith. That's a type of faith, waiting on God. Again, on the board, waiting is a blessing. Learn to enjoy waiting. It's God giving you a chance to rest and grow, and it's one of the ways to His blessings. Isaiah 40, 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. 
They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. That's almost contrary to our human system of thinking, isn't it? Those who wait for the Lord gain new strength. Don't they have to do something? Don't they have to exercise to gain new strength? Well, again, God's ways are not our ways. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. So if something, including a spouse, is not in God's timing, then you don't want it. And at this point, I want to share a quote from a biblical message shared by one of Michelle's co-workers. Uh, Michelle's blessed to work with some dedicated Christians at her, at her company who aren't shy to share the word, and this is from an email message uh, I received from her yesterday. And as, as, you, as we read this, think about what the Spirit just brought up about waiting, being a blessing, and praying while you wait. So on the board, waiting and praying. Why did they pray? In context, the uh, gentleman was talking about the apostles waiting for the Holy Spirit to come in the upper room after the resurrection and ascension. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, so they were waiting in the upper room, and they were dedicated to praying. So why did they pray? Was it to convince God to send down his Holy Spirit? No. As they waited, they prayed, and as they prayed, God prepared them for what was about to take place. Do you look at prayer that way? As it being needed for your own preparation to be ready for the thing he's got for you next? Whatever it is. So again, no, as they waited, they prayed. And as they prayed, God prepared them for what was about to take place. When we pray, we don't line God up with us. He lines us up with him. And if you're humble and if you listen during prayer just a little bit, instead of doing all the talking, he's changing your viewpoint, your soul. You know, your, he gives you thoughts. Just he works in a mysterious way. But when we pray, we don't line God up with us. He lines us up with him. Prayer aligns your life with God, who is power, so that he can choose to use you to demonstrate his power through you. So that includes waiting for a godly spouse. Whatever area of life God is asking you to wait, wait willingly. Realize it's a blessing and it's for your own good. The second message from the Spirit as we begin tonight is that we all fall into sin at times. But this series is not about that. I hope you see that by now. We all fall into sin at times. It's about not accepting lifestyles that are against your God and Savior. Don't accept the norms of society as okay when they are against the Word of God. Don't accept them as a part of your regular life, you, believer. Don't accept these ungodly ways of our culture as part of your life, because that's the one life you control. God gives you freedom to make decisions on. Don't accept the ways of society as a regular part of your life when you know they're wrong in God's eyes. Specifically, on the board, the American dating lifestyle. It really is a lifestyle, and that's the problem. Be on guard for submitting to a lifestyle of sin as no big deal. 
because it is a big deal to God. And it comes along with discipline. So be on guard for the lifestyle of sin. We're all going to fail. We're all going to sin. We're going to fall into sin at times. But I hope you see the difference between occasionally falling into sin and jumping into the pit, accepting that lifestyle. You know, you see this little arena down there. You know it's wrong overall, but everyone's doing it. So you kind of willingly and consciously jump in. That's evil. You know, when we accept a lifestyle of sin as okay, that's evil. We're all going to sin and fail, but I hope you see that difference. On the board again, be on guard for submitting to a lifestyle of sin as no big deal because it is a big deal to God and it comes along with discipline. As a believer, you've been given a new nature, the very nature of Christ. And the new nature, as well as your good conscience from God, which is mentioned in First uh, and Second Timothy, those things will kick against being okay with sinful lifestyles if you're a believer. And that includes the sins entrenched in American dating. On the board, we saw on Sunday, possessing truth. When sinful people hear the truth, in their arrogance, they reject it. Grace is given to the humble, resulting in freedom, as in John 8.32. Remember, you may have the truth, but you may not possess it. There's a difference. One is knowledge and one is faith. As came out on Sunday, there's a big difference between knowledge and faith, and it has everything to do with humility. If in humility you accept the Holy Scripture's viewpoint on American-style dating, you're going to avoid much suffering and self-induced misery in your life. If you accept humbly what the Spirit's been you know, saying to us very directly in the scriptures. Whenever we receive the word in humility, we are sparing ourselves pain as well. And God gives us instructions, as Pastor has been telling us for years now, reminding us through the Spirit. God gives us instructions and commands for our own benefit and good. For our own benefit and good. It's just like a father telling his four-year-old, don't stick your finger in the light socket. It's for your own good. I know you're curious, but it's going to hurt. And we are those, you know, dumb, immature children all the way to the day we die in many cases, right? Hopefully we mature a little bit beyond age four. But um, it's, that's the analogy. He's the father, we're the children, and we're stubborn. But God gives instructions and commands for our own benefit and good and to avoid pain in this world. So on the board regarding deserved suffering, if you continue to disregard the word of God, refusing to submit to it in humility so that faith results, then you're setting yourself up for pain. This is self-inflicted in the same sense that if you walk into a lion's cage, you can expect to be bitten. And is that the lion's fault? You know the pit you're jumping into willingly. You know the lifestyle you're deciding to partake in as a lifestyle, not just an occasional trip and fall. If you do that, what do you expect? You're going to be bitten. 
you're going to be bitten. If you agree that it's your fault for getting into the lion's cage, as Pastor said on Sunday, then you must concede that it's your fault for dating American style, especially after the Spirit's warnings against this lifestyle over and over. So let's contrast that with the godly way. If you want to get to know someone with a sight on possible marriage, do so in a classy way, humbly courting them, and not putting yourself in situations of temptation, as American dating promotes, right? Again, if you want to get to know someone with a sight on possible marriage, do so in a classy way, humbly courting them, and not putting yourself in situations of temptation. Otherwise, you're playing with fire, according to the scriptures. You're playing with fire. Look at this verse on the board on, uh, regarding adultery. And in Proverbs 6.27 in the NIV, it says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? It's a good one. The answer is obviously no. It's pretty much impossible, right? So this, this is in context in chapter 6, all about adultery. All right, and are you going to stupidly, willingly jump into the pit? Are you going to scoop fire into your lap and think you're not going to get burned? Are you going to jump into a lion's cage and think you're not going to get bitten? God's warning us over and over and over um, for all of us. So if you're interested in a single member of the opposite sex, take the view of protecting their soul and their body and yours as well for your spouse one day. Again, if you're interested in a single member of the opposite sex, take the view of protecting their soul and their body and yours as well for your spouse one day, whoever that might be. Don't burn them and yourself in, one, in some way, ruining the virtue that needs to be there for marriage, if that's God's will for you. So again, on the board regarding wisdom and waiting, be on guard against the seductions of contemporary romance. It's a lie that will give you false hope and skewed vision. Again, be on, gu on guard for the seductions of contemporary romance, especially in America and Hollywood. Be on guard for that. It's a lie. It's like a sucker's trap, you know? He's like, just come on in a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. And that's where people think they find true love. And what do, what do we find? And we all, a lot of us have learned this from experience, misery, right? Because we think that's what true love is and that's where satisfaction lies. So be on guard against the seductions of contemporary romance. It's a lie that will give you false hope and skewed vision. You won't see straight. So to capitalize on this point, look on the board, again, regarding wisdom and waiting. If you go beyond biblical courting, you will blur your vision. Once intimacy enters the picture, you become biased, don't you? Not seeing if you have a true soul connection or not. Any sexual intimacy will blind you from being truthful about the relationship. You'll want to stay in it even when you see ugly things in the other person because you, selfishly, don't want to lose the intimacy. So again, this is a very important point 
to understand if you're single. And if you're married, this is a very important point to share with your single friends or family members. Again, wisdom and waiting. If you go beyond biblical courting, you will blur your vision. Once intimacy enters the picture, you become biased. You're not objective. Not seeing if you have a true soul connection or not. Any sexual intimacy will blind you from being truthful about the relationship. You'll want to stay in it even when you see ugly things in the other person because you selfishly don't want to lose the intimacy. Let's be real. And that's the problem with American dating. It gets totally in the way of clear vision and being objective about someone else's character even, all right, or even their love for the Lord. And remember, no earthly relationship is supposed to distract you from the Lord. It should enhance your relationship with the Lord if it's from God. There's a good litmus test to whether any relationship in this life is from God or not. Friendship, you know, people you bond with at work or spend time with at work, um, family members, extended family members, anyone you, you bind to or you commit time to and invest in, well, be careful. Are they pulling you closer to the Lord or are they pushing you a little further away from the Lord? And if they're pushing you away, run away. All right? Even if it's not an immoral situation. Because you know the truth now on the matter regarding American dating and, and you know, the lies within it, Jesus is calling us to be personally responsible with it, with his good word. On the board, Jesus on personal responsibility. In Jesus' eyes, as our great shepherd, Hebrews 13, 20, it's imperative that his sheep take responsibility for themselves, as we saw in Luke 12, 42 through 48, lest they remain stuck in the thicket indefinitely. Once you know the truth on a subject from the word, you're now accountable. It's what Jesus said in Luke 12. And remember, if you humbly accept his word, including fleeing from youthful lusts, you will avoid situations that haunt you and pain you for your own benefit and peace. It's so simple, really, right? It really is so simple. We're just stubborn and arrogant. Go the way of God's purity and watch how simple and pain-free life can be. Go to Proverbs 1, verse 7. Proverbs 1, 7. We saw Proverbs on Sunday. Uh, what a great general message is contained in verse 1. But verse 7 you know, cuts to the core of what's really important. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we're not going to read the rest of chapter 1 today, but I, I suggest what a marvelous chapter for general instruction on how to be wise. Go home and read it once a day for a whole week, and you, you'll see 
amazing principles, I believe, that God will give you. Look at the beginning of chapter 2. As wisdom continues speaking. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. But you've got to want to know God's wisdom. You've got to seek God's wisdom on every matter of life, including relationships. Again, in verse 5, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Jump to verse 16. To deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, that leaves the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. So there we see like what the word does for us in this area we've been discussing. What the fear of the Lord does for us. It warns us from seduction. Sexual intimacy that's inappropriate. And on the board in Galatians 6-7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. It's just the way it is. So again, we can learn the easy way or the hard way. We're going to learn one way or the other. So if you want to read more on the trappings of adultery, read Proverbs 5 through 7, chapters 5 through 7, and it will be a good reinforcement to protect your souls. So if you're struggling with this topic on the lifestyle of American dating being a problem, keep reading the word for yourself, including the many scriptures we've covered in this series, and then come to your own conclusions and convictions. It's got to be, as pastor's been telling us, you've got to come to your own conclusions and convictions. If you don't, it's not going to be fruitful for you. You're going to be still wavering. You're going to be relying on somebody else's convictions. You're not going to be able to stand on those convictions, especially when the pressure comes or the temptations come. So keep reading the word and come to your own convictions. It's the only way it will be of good to you. And ultimately, remember, it's between you and the Lord. As we also heard on Sunday, just step back for a minute and imagine a world where dating woes didn't exist. Talk about peace. Imagine a world where only married people had or even contemplated sex. Talk about stability. Imagine a world where single people were preoccupied with Jesus Christ instead of romance. Talk about contentment. And here's the thing about these, this statement. This world obviously isn't like this. But you could have this. You could have this if you trust God and guard your soul as he says to do. But this world doesn't have it because Satan's a genius and he's deceived the entire world. As came up on Sunday, 
He's got so many people wound up over relationship issues that they don't even pray to God for guidance. Even believers don't. You know, they're so spun up and wound up about a relationship or a person or intimacy that they don't even pray for God to guidance. They almost don't want to ask God for guidance, especially when they find someone and, you know, they're getting intimate. The flesh is like, I don't need to pray about this part of my life. You know, I'll pray about other stuff. And Satan has used sexual sins to separate people from God, even believers from the intimacy with God as their father. The wise person will pray to God for wisdom regarding relationships, and he's willing to wait and listen to his guidance on the matter. After all, it's your perfect heavenly father responding to you in prayer. It's your father who wants to respond to you in prayer about these issues, these personal issues, these intimate issues. And again, if it's not from God and in his timing, it's not going to be good for you. Don't fall into the worldly trap of comparing yourself to others and crying out, it's not fair. This came up on Sunday as well. And we do it. Our flesh does it. We look at others. We look at something someone else has that we don't, and we say, it's not fair. I'm, not fo- I'm following God. Why, you know, how come he's not blessing me in this area? That preoccupation with self leads us down a miserable tunnel. So on the board, we saw on Sunday, adolescent strategy. The problem with the fairness argument is that it's wholly based on human viewpoint. Only an arrogant human has the audacity to say they can choose a better mate for themselves than God can. Only an arrogant person attempts to stuff dating into the holy category of courting. And remember, if you're honest, the vast majority of daters out there have zero interest in marriage, at least not to the one they're currently dating. This proves their selfishness. What are they in it for? if they don't want to commit to you. What are they in it for? Some kind of selfish gain. So selfishness is the key factor in all this. I hope you see that. Um, it's a big, ugly, you know, sore thumb. Both in both parties, you know, it, in happening in the American dating lifestyle, it's almost the centerpiece. If you're considering getting to know someone Ask yourself if you're doing it for selfish reasons or selfish gain, or is it out of love and care for the other person, truly? What's your motivation? And selfishness on the part of the seductress or the seducer is the main characteristic to call out in somebody and run from. They may be handsome, ladies. They may be beautiful, guys. But if you see selfishness as you get to know them, just drop the idea of going any further and run away. Get away from that relationship if you see selfishness, and especially if you don't see a love for the Lord. Protect yourself. That's what the scriptures have been telling us. Protect yourself. Wait on God to provide a truly good soul. And again, avoid a lifestyle of unhealthy, ungodly relationships that bring misery upon yourself. 
Uh, we saw also on Sunday the beginning of discipline. When a person chooses a sinful lifestyle, they immediately take on the daily pressure of living outside of the will of God. That's a great statement, and if you're honest, it's true. <laughs> You've probably experienced that. I've definitely experienced it. This robs them of their peace and contentment, for an unsettled conscience serves as an agitator. So when you know you're doing something against the will of God, when you know you're you know, giving in to a lifestyle that's against God, doesn't your conscience like peck at you until you finally you know, confess it, repent, and move on? It does, if you're a believer. You know, if, if you're not agitated, as the end of this point says, you may have a bigger problem. Because for some reason, you know, your conscience is bothering you, so you may not have even been changed in the first place. You may need to repent and trust in Christ, honestly. But anyway, God, as your Father, if you're a true believer, will discipline you when necessary in faithfulness and love. Remember Proverbs chapter uh, 3. Go to Proverbs 3. Are you still in Proverbs? Okay. Look at Proverbs 3.11. Again, so change your perspective. In the beginning, God said, change your perspective on waiting. Now he's saying, change your perspective on discipline. Proverbs 3.11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Whoever the Lord loves, he reproves. Your father, if a father loves his son, he reproves him. He delights in his son. If he truly loves his son or delights in his son, he's going to help him uh, to avoid destroying his life. He sees the path where it's going and the pit in front, he's going to do something, and it might be painful, but change your, your viewpoint on discipline. It's from your loving Father above. On Sunday, we also had a warning against stupidity. We've had a lot of those lately, actually, but this one's a really stupid thing to do. One of the most stupid things we can do in life is on the board, in the beginning of wisdom. Do not make the mistake of comparing your personal relationships with those the world keeps. Comparing with other people is the stupidest thing you can do. It's so dumb. It's so fruitless. It's um, uh, a road to misery. And you know what? God holds his children to a different standard. If you're a believer, you're God's child. So you're in another world than the unbeliever that seems to be prospering. You're in another realm. They're, they're lost and they're in this, this pit. And they're striving and struggling and they try to make it look good. You might even think they're happy when behind the scenes they're miserable and on their pillow at night they can't sleep. So stop even comparing it all. You know, the Spirit's told us that over and over. Psalm uh, 111, verse 10. Go there again to Psalm 111, verse 10. Don't make the mistake of comparing your personal relationships with those the world keeps. God holds his children to a different standard. Thank God for that. Psalm 111, 10. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. There it is again. You know, if you want to compare yourself to anybody, compare yourself to the Lord. All right? Or see how you, see how you match his scale of values instead of looking at other people around you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As also came out on Sunday, remember that God's intention is to sanctify you experientially after salvation. You're his child now. You belong to him. His intention is to bring you to be more like Christ and help you bring glory to him before it's, life's over and your opportunity is gone. If you belong to Christ, he has special plans for you, even to make you more like Christ in this life. So again, you're in a different realm now. You've been plucked out of the world. You're a child of God. Don't compare yourself to all the other people that are still lost and um, deceived by the world. You now have a, a mission, a purpose that is totally different. And God is on your side through it all as well, enabling you. Turn again to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Again, remember that God's intention is to sanctify you experientially after salvation. There's this higher calling on your life now, which is more wonderful than anything the world can offer. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. On the board, regarding your sanctification, this is stated as being the very will of God for us. The Bible immediately couples this thought with abstaining from sexual immorality. Must be a direct correlation. Revealing the contrariness of sexual sins, not just sexual intercourse that leads to conception. If you think about it, what we've been seeing in this series is directly and fundamentally opposed to American culture and lifestyle. Isn't it? All the verses we've gone to about fleeing youthful lusts and sexual morality and you know, uh, not even looking at someone the wrong way, etc. All these scriptures, they're directly opposed to American dating lifestyle. It's almost like a description of what to do opposite, right? American dating. So again, on the board, regarding wisdom and waiting, the world's ways are opposite God's ways. And the Lord is saying, best keep your distance so you don't get burned. Again, for many of us. And so you can receive my true blessings. Wisdom and waiting. The world's ways are opposite God's ways. The Lord is saying, best keep your distance so you don't get burned again. And so you can receive my true blessings. For example, the world and our culture barely honors marriage anymore. It's, it's like a joke 
nowadays. You watch TV shows, it's like a, it's like a joke. Um, a lot of unbelievers laugh at the idea of marriage. That never happened really 50 years ago, but now it's kind of commonplace. People look at marriage as a convenience or something to try on for size, you know, like going to a, an event or something. If you don't like it, leave, you know. And we saw on the board in Hebrews 13.4, marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. But look at the, the viewpoint or the perspective on marriage. What's the perspective supposed to be? Hold it in high honor. You know, hold it in high honor. It's special. It's uh, holy. It's sanctified. So we talked about dishonoring marriage. And the problem isn't just the physical act of adulterating the marriage bed. In fact, the greater problem, as is the case with any sin, is that people no longer see fit to honor marriage. The greater problem is perspective, loss of respect for it. And that's what starts the ball rolling, really. That's what leads to the sexual sins, really, wrong, a wrong perspective on marriage. People today have little regard for marriage. It's not sanctified in their hearts as something holy, as it used to be in this country many years ago. But this is simply a result of the eroding work of Satan over the years, slowly eroding away, chipping away at biblical values, at God's viewpoint, right? Using Hollywood, using whatever he can. You remember uh, Pastor's blog on erosion a couple months ago maybe? I mean, that's what's going on. Satan has slowly, you don't even notice the beach is going away. You don't even notice the sand is eroding and there's less and less, you know, beach available to uh, be secure on. Satan despises all of God's institutions. And right at the top of the list is marriage. So our job, you know, is not to get so upset about it that we, you know, are bothered by it even. Our job is to defend it. Our job is to stand firm in the truth. Our job is to be a light to the world for those who are humble and are looking for an alternative answer. So on the board, we've been talking a lot about Satan's counterfeit marriage. We might consider American dating as Satan's counterfeit to godly marriage. The prior satisfies the lusts of the flesh while disregarding the sovereign's divine will for marriage and family. That's a big statement right there. The prior being American dating, it pretty much satisfies the lust of the flesh. That's kind of the objective. While disregarding the sovereign's divine will for marriage and family. Think about what a serious thing that is. Think about the willingness of people today to just live together and try each other out. It's a common theory in our world now. You might as well say selfishly, I want to use you and make sure you meet my specs. If not, I'm probably going to move on. I don't want a true commitment. I just want to try you out. But you might not be good enough for me in some way. So where's the security and love in that, right? But that's the heart of the average American today, it seems. 
and that's the heart of the American dating lifestyle. It's antagonistic to the very heart of God, right? Think about that. It's antagonistic to the very heart of God. I hope you all see that by now, especially the young people listening to these messages. There is a godly way, and it's better. God's heart is for unselfish love and care for one another. Unselfish love and care for one another. Under the safety and commitment of the umbrella of marriage. Sexual intimacy outside of that umbrella is evil in God's eyes. God's designed marriage to protect the hearts and souls and bodies from abuse. It's this, it's this safety zone, so to speak. God, God's heart is for unselfish love and care for one another. That's the whole idea of marriage. It's not to gain what you can gain from somebody. It's to give to somebody else, to love them, whatever, unconditionally, to actually care for them, more important than yourself, under the safety and commitment of the umbrella of marriage. Sexual intimacy outside of that umbrella is evil in God's eyes because it violates his heart and his form of love. So again, God's designed marriage to protect hearts and souls and bodies from abuse. He's designed marriage as a sanctified, protected place for the intimacy of sexual relations even. And recall, especially young people, God has his best for you in mind. He is your loving father after all. But he's, he's telling you to get away from the world's way first. Stop giving in to that lifestyle or thinking that's okay. And when you turn to me, you know, in a sincere heart, I can start to give you my blessings. But it takes humility. If God's asking you to wait, it's for a good reason. And you know it, don't you? I've heard a lot of people say, uh, I want this thing, but I know I'm not ready. I know I'm not ready. I probably screwed up, you know, whatever. So you know it, and God knows it, and God loves you more than you love yourself. And he's like, I'm not going to do that to you yet. It's, you're going to ruin it. You know, and the world's mucked us up. I mean, the world is just wreaked havoc with many of us over the years, right? Like, uh, whatever, uh, scar tissue in the soul and, you know, all the damage from bad decisions and all that, right? So, you know, that's okay in the sense that God sees all that. God knows, God understands. But God's will be done. And, and it's, it's never too late to turn to him in humility and to change our perspective. He doesn't want you settling for a seducer or an unbeliever or both, in a way that would break his heart if you think of God as your father. On the board, we've seen this now for a couple times. I mean, how much more plain does it get in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15? Do not be bound together with unbelievers. I mean, just, <laughs> you, we could end right there. You go, go home and pray about that statement. Ask God to show you maybe where you are too bound to unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? That's how opposite they are, in other words. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? 
On the board again, Satan's counterfeit marriage. Satan entices believers with attractive unbelievers. While believers ought to flee from this, they often fall prey to their lusts, regardless of biblical warnings. Your hearts as believers should be tightly knit together. I'm talking like two people getting to know each other. Let's say courting, okay? Your hearts should be tightly knit together before marriage and sex tightly knit you together. The intimate union of sex is really a reflection of the intimate union of two hearts. At least that's how God intended it to be. And again, if it's not from God, you don't want it. It's going to be the opposite of true intimacy. It's going to be some counterfeit. It doesn't work like God intended. On the board regarding marriage and sex, the concepts of marriage and sex should be t so tightly knit in your soul that you can't think of one without the other. If marriage were a blueprint, sex would be the innermost private room in the finished home. It's a great analogy, right? Big picture. The concepts of marriage and sex should be so tightly knit in your soul that you can't think of one without the other. If marriage were a blueprint, sex would be the innermost private room in the finished home. This is one reason your body is so precious in God's eyes, to be protected. The believer's body is the vessel that God uses to carry a life of sanctification into this world as a light for all to see. I mean, picture God when you, when you turned to Christ in humility and you were saved, right? Picture God taking his light and literally placing it in you. So here you are now, this new vessel with his light in it. And his objective is, you know, go shine that light. Go show people the power of Christ. And here you are, this vessel, this lamp, if you will. And you're going to use it for ungodly deeds. The vessel becomes useless. The vessel becomes unused in the way it was designed to be used, right? The believer's body is the vessel that God uses to carry a life of sanctification in this dark world uh, as a light for all to see. Don't you want that? I know many of you want that. We, we all want that as believers. So keep that big picture in mind. You're this vessel that he planted his light in, into. And now you are different. On the board in 1 Corinthians 6.13, Food is for the stomach, and the stomach for food, but God will do away with them both. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. You see intimacy there? True intimacy? The body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Your body is a holy temple. It's a vessel in which holiness is meant to be revealed. We're changed. We're different now. We're new. And we need to change our perspective or we're going to just think it doesn't matter what happens to our body or what we do with our body. On the board in Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, 
acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. By the mercies of God. I mean, think about the passion in this statement. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Your soul can't worship God fully without your body coming along. You're one. You know, God's designed you this way to function as a whole for His glory. You can say all you want that your soul is following God, but if your body does ungodly things, at the very worst, you're not a good light to others. So we're here to bring glory to God. And that means going against the culture of the world. Just think about that statement for a minute. We're here to bring glory to God. And that means going against the culture of the world. We're here to stand up for God's truth, speaking the truth in love, right? As part of the great commission that we're all a part of. We're all called to be a part of in some way. By having the faith to go against cultural norms, some other people may see the light in you and come to the Lord. Again, by having the faith to go against cultural norms, and that's what it's going to take, especially in the face of temptation. By having the faith to go against cultural norms, some may see the light and come to the Lord. That's what we're here for. So we might call this counterculture. The life a believer is meant to lead is literally opposite from the one the world leads. It's just the way it is. In effect, we are the counterculture, being in the minority. We are to be a light in this world. And remember that Scripture says that most of this world is in darkness. The majority is in darkness. So stand out. Make a choice to stand out for God. Make a choice to go opposite the ways of the world because they're not from God. I think the big mistake is, on the board, straddling the fence. Most immature believers make the mistake in thinking that they can remain culturally relevant and serve the Lord without any friction. I used to think this. Kind of um, taking advantage of grace, you might say. Most immature believers make the mistake in thinking they can remain culturally relevant and serve the Lord without any friction. That's not going to happen. So examine your lifestyles and the decisions that you've been making and make a choice from today forward. You know, you can't do anything about yesterday, but you certainly can change today. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5.21. As we begin to close, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. On the board, the Greek word for abstain means to hold back, to keep off, or be distant. In context, it means to distance yourself from evil, even if you have to run, flee. Distance yourself from evil. 
For example, the trap of American dating. Abstain from every form of evil. Make a distance between you and it. Speaking of culture, I once knew a man who joined a fraternity in college, and he was thoroughly trained by the world to be a predator. He wasn't tra trained to hold a woman's virtue in highest regard. In fact, it was just the opposite. He was trained as a young man to view attractive women as objects. As ugly as that man seems to be, that man was me. And I thank God every day that he's delivered me from such bondage and spared others from further damage that person can cause. And truthfully, many women were trained similarly uh, towards men, much more nowadays. Men are objectified almost as much as women today, really. This, of course, is against the holiness of God and his word. So what's the right way to look at members of the opposite sex? Or for men to look at women, for example. The Bible tells us and guides us, especially in how men ought to approach their relationships with women. And turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 5, verse 1, to get some advice and be set free from a worldly perspective. And I want you to see that the approach is a familial one, meaning we ought to consider especially those in the faith as family. That's the viewpoint, the proper perspective. 1 Timothy 5.1 Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. That's a nice capstone. Again, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, the younger women as sisters in all purity. And notice it says the word as. You know, um, the older women as mothers, the younger women as sisters. I had someone recently say to me that they couldn't see how to do that because they weren't really their sister, let's say. But the key is in the word as. How would you treat your sister? So if that's how you treat your real sister, just treat any younger woman like that, for example. How would you look to protect your sister and look out for her? That's your attitude. That's what your attitude should be towards any woman. So in the same way, treat all women. Protect them and look out for them in that same way, as they are your sister in Christ. So on the board, we're talking about being a defender of virtue. Instead of looking for ways to violate each other's virtue, we ought to be devoted to it. Change your perspective. Instead of looking for ways to violate each other's virtue, we ought to be devoted to it, just like we would protect our own sister. 
1 Timothy 5, 1 through 2, Romans 12, 10, 1 John 2, 16, Proverbs 31, 3, and Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Romans 12, 10. Romans 12, 10. We're just going to go a couple minutes over, but I want to finish this up. This is really important. Be a defender of virtue. Isn't that what the world even wants? Right? They make up all these superheroes that defend virtue, defend the weak. Because God kind of designed us that way, to have that desire in us to be fulfilled really only ultimately by Him and His ways. So here we are as believers, and we have God's Word, and let's humbly, humbly obey it. Romans 12.10 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. In other words, love someone else as your brother, even if he's not your blood brother, okay? Love them as your brother. Give preference to one another in honor. On the board, Proverbs 31.3. Men, do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. When you give up your virtue, like when you just give it away, so to speak, you literally destroy yourself, and it's literally destroyed kingdoms throughout human history. Adultery has, basically. Go to Philippians 2, verse 3. Again, be a defender of virtue. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Think about God's perspective on the sanctity that should exist in man-woman relationships. If this is God's heart on the matter, then don't entice one another into sexual sins or thoughts even. In other words, don't knowingly be flirtatious or lead somebody on. It's the start of pouring fire into your lap. Remember that verse? Do you expect it not to burn your clothes? Go to 1 Peter 3, verse 3, as we close. 1 Peter 3, 3. Like God knows the heart, right? If you knowingly do something when you know better, that's not good. <laughs> you want your father to have to discipline you harshly to protect you? 1 Peter 3.3 3. Ladies, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. Let it be. Be satisfied with what God views as precious and uh, virtuous and beautiful. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. In other words, God's telling us to embrace his ways of purity on the matter of relationships. 
Who doesn't want to be pure and honorable? Like I said earlier, even the world wants to be. They can't. They can't find their way, but they desire to be honorable, pure. You know that you do uh, as a believer. You know that you have that inner desire, if you will, to be like Christ, to be as honorable as he was. And God is giving us the means and the training right now to grasp onto it. He's not telling us to figure it out. He's telling us how to do it. And it simply takes humility, according to his word. On the board, Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. It's simple. Keep it. Keeping God's word will lead us to the gift of life. True satisfaction is a gift from God. If we charge through life with sinful abandon, we risk ruin. There are many things to enjoy, but they must be enjoyed in faith and obedience. It's a good point to close on. The gift of life, what we might call true life, that only God can give. True satisfaction is a gift from God. If we charge through life with sinful abandon, we risk ruin. There are many things to enjoy, but they must be enjoyed in faith and obedience. Amen? All right, let's close. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful word and the guidance of your spirit to show us what scriptures we need to know right now and things you want us to humbly apply Father, help us all contemplate these things on our own between ourselves and you. Help us see your perspective, your beautiful perspective of true love and the true way to relate to one another. Father, we thank you for your guidance and your spirit. We ask that you help us bring these truths out to a lost and dying world that need it so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.